calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This episode of the Sheridan Tapes was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Shirley Casperson, Virginia Spots, Jesse Steele, Sam Taylor, Mike and Don Van Winkle, Neil Covert, Aries Jimenez, Holly Harmon, Accursed, and Ali Vasilevska. If you'd like to support the show as well, then please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to all new episodes, a special patron-only podcast, and exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Sure you don't want me to get something started for you, hon? No, I'm fine. Just still waiting for someone. Well, let me know if you change your mind, okay? Of course. Thank you. Anna! What took you so long? Good to see you too, Ren. Yes, of course. Sorry, I was just worried something happened. I'm fine. Just got a little sidetracked on the way here. With what? Picked up another signal, just off the highway. Thought I'd better check it out. Was it, you know, the- No, different signature. But it was strong. There's definitely something here. Here in Arrowhead? Here in Oslo County. All of it. Are these readings accurate? As far as I can tell, they are. But that means... Ah, good. Your friend's here. What'll it be, then? What are you doing? Uh, turkey club on rye. We'll split it. Fries or salad? Both. Alrighty, then. Should have that out to you in no time. What the hell was that? I could ask you the same question. I hate rye. Why are you so jumpy? Why aren't you? That waitress has been over here at least ten times since I got here. She knows something's up. 
<laughs> what, do you think the waitstaff is spying on you now? Someone is. Security caught someone trying to break into the Merriweather facility last night. And project files keep going missing off the server. IT keeps telling me it's just a glitch, but- Who would be trying to spy on us? Who would even know about this? I was hoping you could tell me. You don't think... Whatever's causing these readings might have something to do with it? I don't know. Maybe. But there's too much on the scanner to make out any clear patterns. Too many different signals, all interfering with one another. It's almost like... Almost like what? Everywhere else I found these things. It's like they've slipped through the cracks in a wall one by one, bit by bit. Here, here, it almost seems like someone's opened the floodgates for them. Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Sam. Praise. Praise. Or what did you think she wouldn't mention that it was that it's it must really say something about me that the only place I can really calm down and think is the morgue even if I don't know what it says I mean, it is quieter than the station down here, and no one wants to strike up a conversation around a bunch of dead bodies, so... <laughs> well, I guess it's got that going for it. Uh, huh. So that's where you ended up. John Doe, alias DeWitt. Huh. Guess I found your namesake today, didn't I? this is. You, you knew. I mean, you, you must have known about Sheridan. Maybe about all the rest of it, too. God, the things you could have told me if you'd just... Huh. That's odd. There, there seems to be finger-shaped indentations on the throat. N not bruises, there's no discoloration, but... It almost looks like the skin's been warped or pushed in by... Ugh! 
um, the um, that the skin has um, an unusual texture and consistency, almost like well, almost like molding clay, actually. It still has quite a bit of give, even with the freezing temperatures. Of the- Violate. You, you're, how are you with like it? Me. Out of here. I, 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 I can't. You. Shit. Uh, get your head down. What are you. Oh, no, 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 no. Bailey, what? What are you doing down here? Uh, Chief, just uh, um, uh, clearing my head, uh, getting some peace and quiet. Are you all right? You look a little worse for wear. Uh, I'm fine. It's just um, the fire. It's it's just kind of rattled me more than I expected. That's understandable. Maybe you should go home and get some rest. I can put some more time off in for you if you need it. Uh, no, thank you, but no, I'd... Uh, I'd rather be working right now. Suit yourself. Uh, what are, um, what are you doing down here? The same thing as you, I suppose. Guess we both figured out this is the one place in the station where people will leave you well enough alone. Unless, of course, we both end up down here at the same time. Then it kind of falls apart, doesn't it? I, uh, yeah, yeah I guess it does. <sighs> well, I'd, uh, I'd better leave you to your... Brooding, I suppose. But please tell me if work gets to be too much before I have to take you off active duty, because I will. Understood? Uh, yes, sir. Of course, sir. And try to get some sleep tonight, all right? I'll try, sir. Would you rather he saw you moving around on the slab? Hmm? How do you think that would have ended? Ah, shit. Exactly. So, shut up or I'll put you back in that freezer until you decide to cool off. That won't be necessary, Detective. (laughs) Trust me. Uh, The last thing I'm about to do is trust you with anything. (laughs) Then why let me out? Because I still think you know something about Sheridan. So you're going to tell me what I need to know right now, and then I'll decide whether to tell the chief about this or not. Hell of a choice. <sighs> Fine. You gonna do this in here? What, you have a better idea? Uh, not really, just, uh, uh... I don't wanna go back in the freezer if your boss comes around to check on you. Uh, that's, um... That's actually a good point. Here, uh, we can sneak out the back. I, I know a place. Thanks for the ride, Bailey. Really appreciate it. So, you bring me out here to shoot me, Detective? Seems a good spot for it. 
doubt anyone could find a body out here. Heh. <laughs> Wonder if I'm the first. Just a precaution. One that I will use if you try to get inside my head again. <laughs> Don't worry. I've learned my lesson. Two weeks on ice has left me plenty of time to reflect on my mistakes, after all. How the hell are you even alive? They tagged you with a 308 round. I, I saw you go down. The EMTs saw exactly what they wanted to say. Well, maybe they saw exactly what they were supposed to say. What the hell are you, anyway? I, I know you're not... Well, not human, at any rate. <laughs> really took you this long to figure that out. Detective, detective, detective. You really need to wake up and smell the petrol. Seems your whole world's about to go up and smoke. What are you? <laughs> you want a simple answer, Bailey? Because I don't have one to give. Look, I don't need a simple answer. I just need the truth. Ah, oh, the truth. The truth. Such a simple thing to ask for, isn't it? Such a difficult thing to know in the end. I'll tell you, sure, but you must understand, Detective. The truth is never as singular as you want it to be. No, I can't give you the truth. I can't even give you a truth. All I can give you is a story. That's all anyone can give when you get right down to it. Whether it's true or not. Look, just quit rambling and tell me what you know. And drop that ridiculous accent. I know it's fake. <laughs> what? Would you prefer this? Because honestly, that's all you gun-loving potato-munching hicks around these parts sound to me. Uh, actually, I, um, uh, I wouldn't. Would <laughs> you rather I went in the opposite direction? I was able to use this voice for quite a long time, you know. Uh, look, just, what's, what's your real voice? What an interesting question that is. I wonder if ever I had a real voice. After all, I only learned your languages by imitation. I suppose this would be the closest thing I have to a real voice. Well, even this one is stolen from someone, even if I don't remember who. Uh, please, just use whichever one you want. Sounds good to me. So, where do you want me to start? Well, uh, who you are, first of all, and what you know about Sheridan. <laughs> you mean that thing pretending to be Sheridan, don't you? I mean, you must have figured it out by now. Otherwise, you wouldn't be taking so much of this in stride. I, I, I have some ideas. But I don't know anything yet. <laughs> well, you don't want know anything yet. But that's none of my business, I suppose. So, who am I? Well, that one might take a bit to answer, but I suppose we've got time. Long and short of it is, I'm no one. At least that's how it was at the start. Don't remember much of it. Lights in a lightless place. Dark otherwise, and I knew it, even if I didn't have eyes to see. Voices, though. How I heard them, I can't say. I don't even know how long I was there. I don't even know if it's right to say I was there, or that any time really passed. It was barely like consciousness at all, that state of unbeing. But then there was a feeling like unfolding, unfurling, 
like a caterpillar coming out of its cocoon, but painful. The most painful thing I've ever felt. The most anything I've ever felt, to be honest. And then there's a blinding light. I rose out of a bubbling tar pit to see a hateful pole of fire hanging in a naked sky without the decency to even wear a cloud. And there was the heat. A heat I couldn't comprehend because I didn't even know I was killed before. Heat from above and below and around, radiating from the sun, the blasted desert and the tar surrounding me. Oh, rather, I guess, the tar within me. As I moved, it moved with me shifting and oozing into a form I didn't recognize. Two arms, two legs, five fingers to a hand, and a head almost too heavy to hold up on my own. It was an uh, unnerving sensation, to say the least, to suddenly wake from nothingness into a body made of hot, oozing asphalt, clay, and mud, full of feelings I didn't even know how to quantify. How can I possibly describe that to you in a way you'd understand? No. No, you can't even know the half of the fear I felt that day. There was a single moment of silence. A merciful quiet to mark my first moments in this new world with only the wind and the rake of sand blown over loose stone to disturb it. And then that silence was shattered by a scream. A high-pitched, irritating noise that filled my head in a way I never knew a sound could. I turned to look at where it came from and saw a young woman backing away from the edge of the tar pit. There was a small wooden bed near the edge of it, just large enough for one person and partially sealed with still wet tar from the pit. She must have been finishing the craft when I emerged and startled her away. Of course, I didn't realise any of that until years later. I just saw a creature that looked vaguely like my own unfamiliar form, getting smaller and smaller in the distance they ran. It took me nearly an hour to struggle out of the pit under my own strength. My limbs were still wet and unformed, and moving them only served to tear large chunks of asphalt out of them. It wasn't painful. That, that's something you need to understand about it. I didn't feel pain as such. It was uncomfortable as all hell, but it didn't hurt. Nothing hurts me, the way you think of it. I was aware I was losing bits of myself, but I was also aware I could replace them just as easily if I needed to. By the time I was on the shore, I was a good deal smaller than I'd been to start. No bigger than a child and no wiser. I blinked eyes I didn't even know I had and took in the wide desert around me, mottled with dry shrub and pale rocks, and I wondered what kind of hellish place I'd found myself in. And as I wondered it that, I felt an arrow come to my side. <laughs> of course it didn't hurt, but that doesn't mean it was a pleasant feeling either. I, I grabbed it with one half-formed hand, but it more or less just melted and sloshed around the arrow without getting a grip. I looked up to see another person approaching, older this time, and holding a bow that looked just about as ancient as he was. He shook a little in his hands as he raised it, another arrow already on the string. I realised what was about to happen, and without thinking, I made my body pull the arrow into my chest. The whole thing just vanished into my side in an instant, and I felt it there. The sharp edges of the arrowhead, the rough wood of the shaft, and the soft feathers of the fletching. I regretted it later, and was vomiting splinters for the next few hours as I more or less digested it. But even so, it was worth it.
because when I drew that arrow into myself, I understood. Uh, understood what? <laughs> the kind of world I was in. It was solid and real. Or at least they thought it was. Maybe it was really as unformed and chaotic as the place I came from, but it was fashioned by these people into what they needed. An arrow, a half-finished boat, a way of perceiving the landscape around them in a way that made sense. The world I came from was a world of unbeing, of unknowables and unrealities. But this... This was a world of makers, crafters, people who took one look at the chaos around them and decided it had meaning, that it had a purpose, even if that purpose was to kill. And believe me, I felt that purpose when I absorbed the arrow. When the hunter loosed it, he meant to remove me from this world permanently. Even though I didn't really understand what it meant to die, in that moment I understood just what it meant to kill. And so, that's what I did. Before the old hunter could lose the second arrow, I was on top of him, bashing his head against the rocks until he stopped moving. I don't know how I moved so fast, my legs were still unformed lumps of tar and wet mud. But I felt fear. My first real fear. The, the fear that this creature would kill me unless I, I killed it first. Uh, I know better now. They couldn't have killed me even if they'd used every arrow in their quiver. But hidden in that intent to kill was the fear of death that created it in the first place. As soon as I had to stop moving, I fell to the ground what little strength I had gone. The sun was low in the sky by then, and the world was growing dark already. I was thankful for that much. I could already tell my eyes were meant for the night, not the blinding light of day. I didn't think anyone would come for the hunter. He'd been summoned here by the young woman, and he certainly wasn't going anywhere. So I just sat there, staring at his corpse as the dark gathered around us. Out of curiosity, I compared our hands, our limbs, our, our heights. I could see I was much smaller than him, and my arms and legs were all lopsided and misshapen. I crawled closer, and, and almost without realizing what I was doing, I placed my hand over his and did the same thing I did to the arrow. I pulled it into myself. Before I even realized what was happening, the form I had melted, covering the hunter's body from head to toe. I felt it all then. Everywhere that body had ever been, everything that mind had ever known, and everything this person had learned and done and forgotten in their entire life. I flowed over and through them like water, and when I passed through on the other side, I was whole again. Whole, tall, and strong as the old hunter, while his body had been stripped of flesh and muscle all the way down to the bone. I knew what I'd done then. I'd killed someone, and those who knew and cherished him would soon come to try and kill me. So I did the only thing I could think of. I dumped the bones in the tar pit and fled in the opposite direction of the one the hunter came from. Turns out that direction was north. I don't remember much of that first journey. Even with all I'd gained from a hunter, I didn't know how far, how long I'd have to run before I was safe, and, and I always felt like I was in danger, even if I never was. I stopped and hunted when I grew hungry, I slept when I grew tired, and searched for shelter when the sun grew too hot for me to endure. And yet, I didn't have to do any of it. All I knew about life in this world came from a person made of flesh and bone who needed to eat, sleep, and shelter from the sun. 
I'd learn those weaknesses, and even if I didn't really share them, I felt like I did. I only began to really notice the differences between myself and the hunter when the sun began to vanish behind the clouds more often than not, and the air grew colder and sharper as the winter rolled in. I knew the cold was a danger to humans, but as my legs began to turn solid and icy below me, I realized for the first time just how different I was from the creature I'd killed. I might look like them, feel like them, and even share their hunger and fear for a time, but I wasn't one of them, and never would be. I arrived on the shores of an inland sea as one especially cold night closed in, and I saw snail for the first time. Unable to go any further, I drifted off into what I thought of as sleep, and when the sun rose the next morning, I found my whole body solidified into one solid, unmoving mass. I wish I could say I spent that first winter in a kind of hibernation, that I slept through the frozen months unaware of what was happening to me. But no, this new world was not so kind. I pretended to sleep when I could, though. I didn't really rest. I didn't need to. So I just shut my eyes and pretended I couldn't feel my whole body wanting to move but being unable to. I saw the clay of my bare arms and legs frost over and cracking away no human skin would, and I knew, long before the winter ended, what I was. Death couldn't touch me. Cold could harm and immobilize me, but no touch of mortality would ever slow me down. When the winter ended, and I slowly thought out I meant to go south again, but I was spotted by another group of hunters wearing bright, fur-lined clothing, and I was caught before I had strength enough to run. They brought me back to their longboats for reasons I couldn't understand. I'd learned one language from the hunter, but had almost nothing in common with the tongue of these pale strangers. They tried to return me to yet another unfamiliar group of humans, but when they didn't recognize me, they brought me back and bundled me into one of their boats for the trip home. I suppose they thought I wouldn't survive on my own and took pity on me for some reason. No, I never really found out why. After they'd rowed back to their home across the ocean and given me clothing better suited for the cold, I escaped and fled in the direction I still knew was south. They hunted me, of course, and almost caught me in a small farming village outside what I now know as Kiev. I was hiding in the loft of a small barn when the owner wandered in, completely unaware of my presence. Killing him was easy. Easier than it had been with a hunter, even though I knew he meant me no harm. By the time the hunters found me, I'd learned enough from the farmer's corpse to convince them that this was my barn, my home. I gave them a few wheels of cheese on me was still fresh, and sent them on their merry way. I settled down for quite a while in that village. The, the farmer was a widower with no children and no living relatives, so he was easy enough to be left alone. Not needing to eat, I made quite a bit of money off the crop of the land and the animals in the barn. A few people noticed that I wasn't quite the same as the old farmer. I still wasn't quite used to faces and voices yet, so my attempts to match them were far from perfect. Still, this was medieval Europe, and making a few people disappear or fall prey to unfortunate accidents wasn't too difficult. In fact, one might almost say it was too easy, and sooner than I would have liked, the other villagers realised that those deaths and disappearances were all clustered around the rich farmer who hadn't aged a day in nearly 50 years. They thought I was drinking their blood for eternal youth, of course, but I didn't feel like sticking around to correct them. I fled south just before they stormed the farm, and 
burned it to the ground. I wandered for a bit after that, looking for a new place to settle down before I ran across a procession of troops just outside Constantinople. I'd heard rumours of a crusade, and though I didn't know anything about war, that killing instinct I'd first learned from the hunter was still deep in my bones. <laughs> well, the bits of me that look like bones, at least. The other gaps in my knowledge, they're not too hard to fix. I ate my fill of warriors of every nation and creed at the Siege of Nicaea, and no one noticed their absence in the aftermath. By the time we reached the Holy Land, I wore the face and armour of a crusading lord, and I relished in it. That wasn't my first taste of violence, not by a long shot, but it was my first real taste of the power that comes with it. It was a lesson I'd never forget. But all wars end, and even though there were many more crusades, I'd more or less had my fill. I returned to France and took the lands and titles of the lord I'd replaced, living once again in wealth and comfort, but this time with power and privilege over those around me and I now knew well enough to add the marks of age to my face as the years went by. A few people still disappear in the intervening years, of course. Unlucky servants and courtesans who've stumbled in on me while I was adjusting my face or repairing some accidental injury. But sooner or later, I knew I'd have to abandon that comfortable seat of power and at least pretend to die. So, on the 4th of April, 1151, I died quietly in my bed and was buried in the estate's mausoleum. Escaping was easy enough, and I slipped away into the countryside one foggy night nearly a week later. I spent my next life as a gamekeeper on an estate in England after the old one suffered a particularly well-timed accident. It was a good enough life, though it did me little good to kill things that weren't really afraid of me. Sure, I saw terror in their eyes just before they went dark, but they didn't really respect me until I put an arrow on their flanks. I ended their life prematurely, in much the same way I ended the old gamekeepers. Getting out of a commoner's grave was slightly more difficult, of course, but once I got through the lid of the coffin and clawed my way up through the loose dirt, I knew I wouldn't be doing that again. Not if I could help it. And for the most part, I could. I cheated, killed, and stole my way into positions of power all across Europe. I've been a duke, a duchess, a priest, a landlord, a bailiff... At one point I was even a prince, but an unfortunate accident at Easter Mass put an end to that before I could inherit the throne. The years passed and I really just took each life as it came. It was odd at first to see the people I knew, and in some cases even cared for, age and die, but by that point my life ran on a completely different tempo to theirs. I missed some of them, sure, but eventually death became just as inevitable as the cold of winter to me. I didn't enjoy it, but it didn't really harm me either. The world moved on, and I moved on with it. <laughs> it moved on a bit too much too quickly, in fact. One moment, it seemed, a new continent was found across the sea. The next, there were colonies all across it. And the next, those colonies were in open rebellion and then free. I didn't see the shape of what was coming until it was far too late. By that point, I was living as a noblewoman in Paris, wed to a member of the Estates General. I could have done better. I was doing better. I fell out of favour at Versailles when the royal family began to suspect my involvement with an assassination attempt. I married mostly to avoid having to fake my death again, but he was a kind man, and he left me with money and freedom enough to hold some measure of power. It wasn't enough for me, though, and I'd already planned to end it before its time when he came home one night 
drunk and enraged, saying that the commoners in the third estate had broken off and formed their own legislation. I, I realised then what was coming. I, I made a show of consoling and comforting him and got him to bed early. And as soon as he was fast asleep, I took his head in both hands and twisted until I heard his neck snap. Uh, I've never been the strongest creature, so it took a bit of doing. Creating muscles that move naturally is difficult enough without trying to make them powerful. But I managed in the end, and thankfully, he never woke. I emptied the house of valuables, stashed them where I knew I could find them again, and took the face of one of the more charismatic members of the old crusading party. I quickly found my place in power with the revolutionaries, and let me tell you, the reign of terror was the most fun I'd had in centuries. Uh, of course, it all fell apart after a while, and I ended up under the guillotine by the end. That was a bit harder to recover from, but once I found my head and put it back on, I left France for good and never really looked back. I could go on, I guess, but the intervening centuries haven't been much different. It took me a while to sort out who had power in this brave new world, but I always seemed to find it in the end. The plantations of the American South, the British Raj, the Bolshevik Revolution, and Australia, of course. A penal colony needs overseers, after all. But one by one, those all went away. People were free to free themselves. The revolutions ended, and I found myself back at the bottom of the ladder every time. I came back to America to join in on the Red Scare, but by the time I got anywhere, McCarthy was disgraced and I was back to the drawing board. It was on one particularly hot afternoon in Los Angeles, just a few miles from the tar pits where I suspected I'd been born, that I finally had my epiphany. Of course, it had to come in the form of a particularly nasty police officer who told me I couldn't loiter on the park bench. I was living on the streets at the time and not really paying much attention to my appearance, so I was looking rather scrappy. When I asked him why I couldn't, he answered me with a baton across the head. I was knocked over, so I pretended to be stunned. I even put on a bit of blood for show. <laughs> that didn't stop him, though. He hit me again and again while the good, respectable citizens all around us just watched. Too scared or maybe too brainwashed to do anything about it. I could barely keep myself from grinning. I knew I'd turn my answer then. I've been thinking about it all along. Money, position, braiding, those were what gave me power before and they were getting harder and harder to come by. But a uniform? An idea of power? One small change in my appearance and I could do pretty much whatever I wanted. I was shoved into the back of the police cruiser by him and his partner, but that car never made it back to the station. They found it two weeks later in Red Rock Canyon, burnt out with two blackened skeletons in the front seat. <laughs> so what do you think of my story, Detective? My truth. How... How old are you? <laughs> old enough to know better. Younger than the mountains, older than the trees. How much of that was actually true? Most of it. Some of it. All of it. <laughs> what does it matter? It's not like you can prove any of it. Not in your pathetic lifespan, at least. So then why should I believe any of it? <laughs> no reason at all. Believe it, doubt it, build a religion around it. <sighs> I really don't care. Is it useful to believe it? Maybe. Does it get you close to the truth about Sheridan? More than likely. 
but you better stop going back and forth, Bailey. Trust me, you don't have the time for that. What do you mean I don't have time? That thing, pretend to be Sheridan. It's not like me. It's not content to be itself, to be singular. It reflects. It expands. And it grows with every voice it steals, every body it duplicates. Sheridan? She's just a start. A voice people will listen to, a face they now and trust. But it won't stop there. It will never stop. You're saying that it's trying to... To what? Replace people? <laughs> no, 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 detective. It's trying to replace humanity. Replace it with its own version of humankind. And trust me, neither of us want that to happen. I kind of like humans just the way they are. Stupid and easy to fool. So, what am I supposed to do about it? <laughs> How the hell should I know? I'm not the one who needs to put a stop to it. But, if you get nothing else from my story, Bailey, get this. The things only work in your favour when you're willing to do whatever it takes to win. Speaking of which... Oh. You really should have been paying more attention. It's remarkable easy to get inside your head. The Sheridan Tapes, episode 19, In Deep Shadow. Starring Erin Neely Chaconis as Anna Sheridan, Sam Taylor as Dr. Ren Park, Leslie Ann Hoxie as The Waitress, Michael Dostro as The Chief, and Trevor Van Winkle as Sam Bailey and Lieutenant DeWitt, with original music by Jesse Hogan. Written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle and made possible by our supporters at patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. Visit thesheridantapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and connect with us on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram at Trevor underscore VW. New episodes are released every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on all podcasting platforms. I'm Trevor Van Winkle. This is Homestead on the Corner, and you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.